Hey everybody, this is Hunter Williams. Today is going to be episode 94 of the NeuroEdge podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about BPC-157, heart coherence, complaining, reading, and gematria, or gematria, however you say it. So, pretty diverse array of topics today, but again, the central theme is going to be how we can all use these to live a happier, healthier more fulfilled, more abundant life. So pretty diverse array, but we will tie them back all together. And as always, I want to send my sincerest gratitude to you. Or if you are listening to this, I know time is your most valuable asset. So if you are tuning in today to try to make yourself better, I really appreciate it. And you should also thank yourself for doing so. So that being said, if you are interested in this podcast, I know that I say this on everyone, but we are growing an amazing community. So if you would like to join that community, head on over to the Facebook group that will be in the link in the description of the video and check it out and let me know your feedback and we will do Q and A episodes. So if you put some questions in the Facebook group, I will definitely answer them or do my best to answer them in a way that satisfies you. So pretty interesting times that we are living in today and we're coming up on the holidays. Today is November 12th, 2020. So that being said, I want to jump into these topics and talk about how they can help us live a better life. So let's talk about BPC-157. So you may have never even heard of the word BP-157, what that is, but it's a supplement that I want to talk about. So this is on the website called Self-Hacked, which is by Joe Cohen, who is a guy that founded a company that does genetic testing, which is pretty cool. I haven't ordered any of their kits or anything like that, but he has a really good website with good information about things. So BP7, what is BP57? So BP50, BPC157 is a short-term or is a short peptide chain, essentially a piece of a protein. It's a regenerative potential uh, has attracted scientists who are starting to investigate if this peptide may promote muscle and wound healing and counteract the toxic effects of common painkillers. So what is BP57, BPC, excuse me, BPC-157? It's a 15 amino acid long fragment of this protein that is synthetically produced. So some studies refer to BPC as body protection compound. So that's what the BPC uh, in, stands for. And it uh, has therapeutic potential. So scientists consider it a blueprint for an entirely new class of organ protective and healing drugs, but research is still in the early stages today. So from what I have heard and read about this, I haven't used it myself. And again, this is something that is in the forefront that's coming out, but it is one of the best things you can use for healing muscles, especially if you have soft tissue injuries, soft tissue injuries. And that's one thing as we all age, especially if you're an athlete that is active and trains a lot, you have to be on guard against because sometimes you can tear up your joints. And if you're in any sort of competitive athletics or train pretty hard, this can be something that is very useful to you. So how does it work? So PPC-157 likely promotes muscle and tendon healing by triggering the formation of new blood vessels process called angiogenesis. This explains its regenerative potential and why it also might help heal wounds and other types of damage in the body. By increasing new blood vessels, it might help with IBD, which uh, is healing of the inflamed gut lining um, is slow. Additionally, so another thing with, just to preface this because I know this off the top of my head, BPC-157 
when taken orally is very effective at healing the gut lining. And I don't think there might not be one thing in humanity right now that could help humanity heal if we heal our gut lining because so much of our brain function is tied into our hummer, how our stomach functions. And so many people, because the food that we eat is toxic, have problems with leaky gut, stomach problems, IBD, IBS. So, and I think IBD stands for inflammatory bowel disease. But anyway, BPC-157 may also promote wound and tendon healing by blocking the growth inhibiting effects of a specific molecule called 4-hydroxynanol. It might specifically help tendons heal by also causing tendon cells to make more receptors for growth signaling uh, molecules. This in turn allows the tendon cells to grow and move during injury repair, speeding up the process. So again, if you do have an injury, it's something that could speed it up. can also reduce inflammation, again, which I always talk about all the time, is one of the two key factors of health, insulin suppression or glycemic variability reduction and the reduction of inflammation, which is probably involved in its effect on wounds, ulcers, and tissue production. So BPC-157 can also influence the activity of neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine. In turn, it might help with depression, seizures, pain, and even more to promote gut health. So more research is needed to understand exactly how this works on the brain. However, kind of like I talked about in our last episode with tyrosine, and if you didn't check that out, you can check out episode 93. BPC-157 can act uh, as a precursor uh, to help influence activity of neurotransmitters, serotonin and dopamine, which again, one of the causes of so much of the depression and anxiety that we see in people today is likely because they're neurotransmitters for whatever reason, whether, whether it's a lack of health, lack of exercise, or just lifestyle circumstances might not be firing correctly. So just as a quick snapshot, what are the proponent, what do the proponents say about BBC 157? Obviously, because it's something newer, it may promote healing and tissue regeneration. It may reduce inflammation and it may protect organs from toxins and damage, which I think we should all be on guard against today. Skeptics say there's no published or peer reviewed studies in humans currently. Unknown safety pr profile because of the fact that uh, there's no published and peer reviewed studies yet because it's such a new type of supplement and it may interact with other drugs and medications as do a lot of things. And there are potential conflicts of interest for scientists doing the research because they may be the ones selling it. So um, what are some of these things that can help? So inflammatory bowel disease or IBD. So there are numerous references both online and in published scientific studies to BPC-157 being safe and or effective in clinical trials of inflammatory bowel disease. However, results from such studies do not appear to have been published or peer reviewed. So some studies in humans with titles suggesting they tested IBD falsely cited even in the scientific literature were in fact performed in healthy people. So in rats with IBS, however, which is inflammatory bowel syndrome, the peptide decreased inflammation. Again, I think a lot of IBS or IBD is the result of inflammation in our stomach lining. And again, if this can help with that, it probably will as a result help with the inflammatory bowel syndrome. So in rats with injuries in their Achilles tendon injections with BPC-157 helped the tendons heal almost completely, whereas control rats didn't make full recoveries. Again, a lot of tendon injuries, like an Achilles injury, like a sprained ankle, like a lot of shoulder injuries, uh, they, they, and a lot of people will never heal completely. So similar peptides injections improve muscle healing for rats whose muscles have been cut or crushed. This effect even held true when rats were also treated with corticosteroids like uh, hydrocortisone, which can slow the healing process. 
Healing burns, cuts, and broken bones. So in mice with burns, creams containing BPC-157 actually accelerated the healing process even in those simultaneously given corticosteroids. I did not know that about actually having burn injuries. It also helped uh, cuts heal in mice and in rats and was even effective in diabetic rats. Um, it also uh, spurred the healing of broken bones in rabbits. Rats given BPC-157 injections after suffering traumatic brain injury actually had less brain damage. So if you are a football player or something like that, this could be something that's pretty powerful. And rats injected with BPC-157 before brain injury were more likely to stay conscious and less likely to die. Rats with nerve damage in their legs, BPC-157 injection and help their nerve cells regrow and heal. The peptide also protected mice from drug-induced seizures. It might have also positively affect mood in one study BPC-157 increased depression or decreased, excuse me, decreased depression-like behavior in rats and the effect was comparable to that of conventional antidepressants. So again, something that a lot of antidepressants will actually really mess with the neurochemistry of your brain. This is decreasing inflammation to actually help your brain health. Um, another thing that it helps with injections uh, help to heal stomach ulcers in rats, heal gastrointestinal fistulas in which are abnormal openings in the digestive tract that cause fluids to leak. In one study, BPC-157 reduced inflammation in rats with both stomach ulcers and arthritis. Also, as far as uh, damages related to NSAIDs, uh, which are things like Advil, Tylenol, aspirin, and ibuprofen, although I'm not sure if Tylenol is, I know ibuprofen is, but although generally safe if used as directed, these drugs can cause damage to organs like the stomach and the liver, and BPC-157 either injected or consumed in drinking water reverse these toxic effects in rats. So again, if also just as I know, if you are taking ibuprofen or aspirin on a regular basis, understand that those can have severe long-term consequences for you. I try as much as I can to stay away from using those. And there's a couple other benefits, drug intoxication, pain, balancing blood pressure, balancing potassium levels. So at this time, there are no adverse notable side effects that have been studied. Again, this is something that is relatively new and on the cutting edge of science. So there may be things that we just haven't had a large enough sample size yet to detect. But I think it is relatively safe to assume that a lot of this, the pros are going to outweigh the cons if there are any side effects. And just as a general side effects, these are all side effects that have been associated with peptides, not specifically BBC-157. But if you do engage in using peptides, just know that in some instances, not in all, that they have been known to induce kidney and liver toxicity, unusual hunger and weight gain, feeling hot or cold, blood pressure changes, heart problems, cancer, fatigue and dizziness, or toxicity to fetuses. So again, that is kind of like saying any drug that you take may have these sort of side effects. Not all drugs will, but just throw that out there. But if you would like to learn more, definitely do some research on BPC-157. You can actually take it orally, in which case it is very helpful with helping heal your stomach, or you can take the injection, which would be subcutaneous or intramuscular. So check it out. And I think in the future, this can be something that hopefully comes to the forefront and it's really helpful in making people healthier and reducing inflammation. All right, so next thing I want to talk about is heart coherence. So I think heart coherence is one of the most important things and kind of states of mind that we can get to. And you may not have any idea what I'm talking about, but what I did is I pulled up and I came across this from the HeartMath Institute, 
who's a really cool organization and website if you ever want to check out their stuff. But what is heart coherence? And to me, in my study and my reading and everything that I have come across in the last few years that I've tried to really work on improving myself is this idea that our heart being incoherent. So there's certain states of our body and mind when our heart is in complete coherence. And that's usually when you're really relaxed, you're in meditation, you're in a flow state. So I just wanted to examine this a little bit, kind of talk about what it is. And the HeartMath Institute has a great article in it. So they define coherence as the state when the heart, mind, and emotions are in energetic alignment and cooperation. HeartMath Institute Research Director, Dr. Roland McCready says it is a state that builds resiliency. Personal energy is accumulated, not accumulated, not wasted, leaving more energy to manifest intentions and harmonious outcomes. I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like something awesome that I want to be a part of and want to try to build into my emotions and how I bring the energy that I have to other people around me. So McCready also and others with the Institute have conducted studies that show a particularly effective method of, achieve, of achieving coherence that's user-friendly and helps replace negative emotions with positive ones called emotion self-regulation. Science of the Heart, heart math signature work covering much of the Institute's research over the near, nearly two decades has this to say about coherence and the role of positive emotions. When the physiological coherence mode is driven by a positive emotional state, we call it psychophysiological coherence. This state is associated with sustained positive emotion, a high degree of mental and emotional stability. It goes on to say that in states of physio or psychophysiological coherence, there's an increased synchronization and harmony between the cognitive, emotional, and physiological systems, resulting in efficient and harmonious functioning of the whole. Studies conducted across diverse populations have linked the capacity to self-generate and sustain psychophysiologically coherent states at will with numerous benefits. So how do we do this? Well, I think one of the ways that we talk about this is doing meditation, being in nature and removing yourself from a lot of things that may cause you stress. When you do these, when you do those type of things, your body is actually able to get into this state of coherence where we're able to regulate our emotions so that we do come into times of stress. We have the ability to do that. We have the ability to take over our body, control it, and make it one coherent being in which all of our systems are functioning properly together. So you see the alignment of these psychophysiological things going on where our brain, heart, and emotions are all tied in and working together. And I know for me, that's something that I want to work on because that's the maximization of the human experience. Um, also, among the observed benefits, participant and heart mass studies have exhibited the ability to build resili resilience, which enables us to effectively manage stressful situations and recover from them more quickly with our energy reserve intact. Study participants also have experienced substantial improvement in cognitive function, such as long-term and short-term memory, increased ability to focus, process information, and overall improvement in learning. So HeartMath has developed a number of techniques, online programs, technology, and other materials designed to specifically teach all age groups how to create and sustain coherent hate, coherent states. So again, that can be done through meditation, exercise, a lot of different things, but you want to make sure that everything you do, are you coherent? So just think about that for today. You don't have to go off the deep end and researching this, but just think, is your body coherent? And if for any reason you don't feel like it is, lean towards trying to develop practices that help you become coherent. Moving along, and the next thing I want to talk about, I don't have a slide pulled up or anything. Next thing I want to talk about is complaining. So just this is just more of a little rant that I have and something that I am calling myself out as much as anyone else. Complaining gets you absolutely nothing. So 
If you find yourself ever complaining, try to make it a practice that if you ever find yourself complaining, one, out loud, definitely with your words, or two, in your head, just complaining, try to nip that in the bud as fast as you can. Complaining, and this is one thing in a group study that I'm in that we talked about, complaining will get you absolutely nowhere and it's a waste of time. And yes, sometimes are there going to be times in life when we want to complain about things? Absolutely. When they're not going our way. However, if you assume self-responsibility for your own actions and do everything you can in your power to not complain and focus on controlling what you can control, your life is going to be so much better. When you assume responsibility for your life circumstances, where you are, all of a sudden you become the dictator of your life and you determine where you want to go with your life. If you are complaining, you are saying that someone else is in control of that, thereby reducing your impact on the control you have over your life, which is going to cause a myriad and host of other different problems in terms of how stressed out you are and things of that nature. So I say that just to bring it up and say, hey, if you are someone that is complaining, don't complain. Focus on what you can control. So that being said, Moving along, what I wanted to talk about next is reading and the brain. So what does reading do for our brain? Something I've been thinking about lately is I have been reading a lot. So I think there's something that goes on in our brain when we are reading that is unlike any other. I came across this in listening to a guy named Cal Newport's podcast, and he talks about how reading is when you look at it in the evolution of human history, it's at the, the point that our brain actually became able to process information in a new way and have to think in a really novel way. So it's firing all these different centers in our brain. So I just wanted to talk about some of the ways that reading helps our brain. So what are ways it stimulates our brain? Mental stimulation, obviously. So studies show that staying mentally stimulated can slow the progress and reduce the risk of Alzheimer's and dementia. You've got a use it or lose it brain. Boy, isn't that true? Kind of goes the same thing with our body and exercise. But information really accessed and behavior seldom used cause a decrease in those neural pathways until connections may be completely lost in a process called synaptic pruning. As a matter of fact, you may be unknowingly contributing to your brain's decline by not challenging activities like reading, jigsaw puzzles, and chess give your brain a workout and keep it actively stimulated. So think about that as I talk about all the time. Exercise is really important. Well, for your brain, it's no different. And if you are constantly just giving your brain to mindless entertainment, video games, things of that nature, you are losing it as opposed to challenging it with complex problems like reading puzzles or uh, gamified things that aren't necessarily technological, technology-based. Stress reduction. So reading is a great way to de-stress. According to a 2009 study, reading reduced stress levels by as much as 68%, which is more than listening to music, having a cup of tea, playing video games, or going for a walk. So again, it's really going to help with stress reduction, which is something that obviously people around the world really need help with these days. It actually enhances social skills. You wouldn't think this is a little counterintuitive, but one study found that individuals who read fiction may be better at generating what is known as theory of the mind. And theory of the mind is the ability to understand others' mental states, beliefs, desires, and differing thoughts. And it's a skill essential for complex social relationships. So again, I think you could define that whole Theory of, the, theory of the mind as empathy. And when you read, you actually are putting yourself actively in someone else's shoes, whether that's fiction or nonfiction, and you're able to better understand and relate with other people around you, which again, as I talk about all the time, will help develop your relationship currency, which is going to help you create more impactful things in your life. 
Vocabulary expansion, if you want to sound smart, obviously, but a larger vocabulary also is known to correlate with a higher income. So if you want to make more money, who of us doesn't, uh, that would also be another benefit of reading. Memory improvement. So according to one study, mental stimulation like reading can help produce or protect memory and thinking skills, especially as you age. The authors even suggest that reading every day can slow down the late life cognitive decline that a lot of people experience. In other research, reading has been shown to slow the rate of memory deterioration and decline of other key mental capacities. This also translates indirectly as reading can actually help people live longer. So again, if you are at any point, if you treat your your brain like a muscle, reading is like going to the gym. And if you take it that seriously, as a lot of people do their health, I think that you obviously would want to be reading on a regular basis. It also helps improve brain connectivity and function. So once they determine that becoming engrossed in a novel enhances the brain's resting state connectivity and overall function, specifically reading fiction improves the reader's ability to put themselves in other shoes, like we talked about. Um, also, heightened connectivity was seen in the left temporal cortex, an area of the brain associated with receptivity for language, and the central sulcus, which is the primary sensory motor region. Neurons here make representations of sensations for the body, a phenomenon known as grounded cognition. Just thinking about running, for instance, can activate the neurons associated with the physical act of running. So when we're reading, we're actually creating these sensations within our brains to prepare it for other states we may want to experience in the future, like success or whatever you want to achieve. And lastly, better sleep. So creating a bedtime ritual such as reading before bed soon as your body that it's time to wind down and go to sleep. And that's according to the Mayo Clinic. So I know for a fact that when I read before to bed, it puts me right to sleep. And it doesn't necessarily have to be something boring, but it kind of just like this says is a signal to me to wind down. So moving along. Next and last thing I wanted to talk about today is gematria. And this is a very deep rabbit hole that you go down, and I probably will talk about it more in the future. But I just wanted to introduce this into the mind of my listeners and kind of give them, because I think it's really cool as someone that is fascinated by history and also fascinated by numbers, math, and those things. I think this is pretty cool. So Gematria is an alphanumeric code of assigning a numerical value to a name, word, or phrase based on its letters. So a single word can yield multiple values depending on the cipher used. Gematria originated in Assyro-Babylonian Greek system of alphanumeric code or cipher that was later adopted into Jewish culture. Similar systems have been used in other languages and cultures. Earlier, the Greek isosophy and later derived from or inspired Hebrew Gematria, Arabic, numerals and English gematria. So one example of Hebrew gematria, Hebrew gematria is the word inchai alive, which is composed of two letters that using the assignments in the Mispar Gadol table shown below add up to 18. This has made 18 a lucky number among the Jewish people and uh, reason they awfully, often give gifts in multiples of 18. So um, obviously there's a bunch of different stuff about this, but some of identified two forms of gematria. So the revealed form, which is prevalent in many hermeneutic methods found throughout rabbinic literature and the myst mystical form, a largely Kabbalistic practice. So a few instances of gematria in Arabic, Spanish, and Greek spelled with Hebrew letters are mentioned in the works of Abraham, Abu Lafia, and uh, Hasidic 
rabbis also use it, although rarely for Yiddish. So again, it's basically just the idea of having words encoded with numbers and then having these numbers represent different things. So you can look at the different ciphers here, but basically the thought is that a lot of things in our culture actually have encoding with numbers. A lot of things in language may be encoded with numbers that can be a symbol or have a deeper significance or meaning for things. So it's pretty cool. If you look at language, it's just the communication style that we have with each other. And then there actually might be at a deeper level of numeric code, just as we have computer code with computers, that actually may be something similar that works with language. So if you want to check it out, there's a bunch of different resources you can. This was just something I pulled off of Wikipedia. But if you go out there on the internet, there's a bunch of different people you can talk about. And it's pretty cool to look at and see. That being said, that is all I have for today, everyone. I want to say thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Try to take something that we talked about today, go and implement on your life, whether it's reading, whether it's creating more heart coherence, whether it's not complaining, whatever it is. Try to make yourself better and spread the word to other people because I think that's eventually what is going to make the planet a better place. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Peace.